We made this. Welcome to the Starlight Ballroom. Hey. to Shipwrecked and Comatose, the Red Dwarf podcast here on the We Made This Podcast Network. My name is Kurt Knopf and thank you for joining us again for our continuing coverage of Series 8 of Red Dwarf. This week, we're going to be talking about Back in the Red Part 2. And joining me, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Mark Adams. Mark, how are you doing? Hello. We're on um, Series 8, which is remarkable, really, considering that we have done quite a lot of specials. And um, I'd love to say I'm excited about it, but I'm not. No, there seems to be a running theme, and they're only on the second episode. The same, uh, we're only on second one. <laughs> but you're in for the long haul, Mark. You know, you've got to take the rough of the smooth, haven't you, at the end of the day? Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> honestly, can we not do Crime Traveller again? And joining us, as was last week, Mr. Carl Bryan. Hello, hello, how are you all doing? I'm doing okay. I'm still ill. But I'm doing yeah. okay. I've got some isotonic drink, Carl. Isotonic well, you drink. know, Colin Jackson and Linford Christie you drank that stuff, and and they they ran like the clappers. They did. They did indeed. Where does um, that phrase come from? Like the clappers. What what oh. what, 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 what are clappers? Like a, well, the only thing because I've been watching it again recently is um, the Miranda breast clap when she turns over. <laughs> So that's right. all I've got in my head, breast clapping. I don't, but... I don't have many experiences sexually with women. Does that happen with boobs? What? That they claps. clap when you when you when you roll over in bed. Um, mine don't personally. No, Mark. No. You're not a lady. No, but I've got a fantastic rack, Mark. Okay. Uh, say, a clapper. Um, looking at the definition here on the Collins Dictionary, um, a, is is a noun, <laughs> a person or thing that claps, a contrivance for producing a sound of clapping, as in scaring birds, a small piece of metal suspended within a bell that causes it to sound when made to strike against its side. So maybe it's that the, the inside of the bell going back and forth. Uh, a slang word for tongue. And uh, oh, also I can see go like the clappers, which just means to go incredibly fast. So it doesn't look like there is a particularly great meaning. It, it could just mean a bell clapper. So when Linford Christie ran like the clappers, yeah. his genitals looked like the clapper from a bell. Okay. <laughs> so, That's so, pretty accurate, Mark. <laughs> so looking at clappers in the urban dictionary it ah. is a stripper who is able to make her ass shake so vigorously that her cheeks clap <laughs> without going into detail i have seen that at one point in my life <laughs> were you going like the clappers carl <laughs> i wasn't no no but the, the lady who was doing it was um and yeah it's you can get a pretty good amount of volume on those things <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. For anyone who may be interested in more detail, please go to the Urban Dictionary and type in Clapper because there is a mountain of Urban Dictionary terms for it. Good. The act of shaking or flapping a man's genitals until they make clapping noises also there. 
I've never done that. Arc? No, okay. not for me. <laughs> Let's talk about Back in the Red, episode part two, Red Dwarf, series eight, episode two. Um, released seven days after the 18th of February, because it says the 18th of February to the 4th of March, and I can't be bothered working out what seven days is after the 18th of February. Nice. nice. Um, yeah, so let's let's go straight into this, because we have probably one of the most iconic I would say iconic moments in Red Dwarf history in Rimmer's salute. Mm, yeah. What do we yeah. think? It's, I mean, it's, it's a work of art, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's one man left to his own devices as to what he thinks is going to be funny. And then you get the feeling slightly losing it and then getting it back again, and it's stronger than it was the first time round. <laughs> it's, I mean, we've talked about quotable dwarf in the past. This mm. is probably actionable dwarf, or at least the original salute was. If you do the original salute, yeah. everyone knows what it's a reference to. But this was something else, and it was, yeah, it was the gag that was waiting to happen, and it was done so beyond perfectly. That yeah, it, it 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 is something very special, and and even little Miss Grumpy Knickers over here can't deny that it's one of the greatest moments in Red Dwarf history. I mean, if if you're a long term fan like us, it does go into a bit of the lore that in the books Rimmer does talk about. Well, it's mentioned that Rimmer does have a salute where he twirls his hand seven times instead of five for someone who's more more higher up on the scale so for this because he is massively sucker sucking up to hollister he you know he's going all out my my favorite part is when you think it's finished and then he just pulls his hand like it's almost like a ballet move where he pulls his hand down diagonally across his body to go back into it and you know chris barry must have been in some weird zen state by the point he did that where it's just like let's just see how i feel where's the arm gonna go i thought it looked like a leaf as it falls from a tree when he did that there's been it's been alluded to a piece of paper like floating in the air oh the the way that the arm and his hip go into like almost like a washing machine sink <laughs> um as he gets faster and faster i think he's just a beautiful bit of physical comedy um yeah it's just it's you know it's chris barry probably gets at least one person doing it to him at some point every day yeah yeah he does and, and i alluded to it last week apparently that the in, in rehearsals it was a lot shorter mm. and it was chris barry with an audience in front of him Going, actually, I'm going to do a bit more and a bit more, yeah. you know. So that, so the, so the, it kind of was. You wouldn't have had that had it been like there's a two camera shot rather than just being, a, you know, for the audience kind of thing. And mm -hmm. then, and like we alluded to before, where they were saying they were stretching it out, it was a case of they they could have cut it at any point if they wanted to, but it, actually, it ended up being really funny. And yeah. let's just keep it in and and do it that way. And I think it's uh, it's wonderful. Um, wonderful. And again, going back to the, the actual contents of this of this scene itself, we were talking last week about things about re um, reconstituting the the continuity of the show. 
and the drive plate about, reference. Like, the drive plate reference. Yeah. yeah, she talks about yeah. this, and and yes, it also has the the double uh, meaning of the fact that he's got the confidential files, which mm. which works to to it really uh, really well. So, I think that 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 works perfectly well. Just the fact that he says permission to look smug, sir. <laughs> you know, very kind of like, you know, almost Crichton-like line. But the and, mm. and the smug face he pulls is, is just brilliant. I think this scene, in a weird way, reminded me of the scene where Lister's boxer shorts were shrinking, and it was funny already. But it became so much funnier because of the studio audience and how much they were enjoying it and how much they were playing off the studio audience. And we've said it a hundred times, season seven lost that for better or for worse. Yeah. Whereas this was just classic British sitcom moment where the actor was confident in the character they were playing and gently tweaked something and made it so, so much better. Well, what about them, Rimmer though? Because Rimmer's got those confidential files. And this is what I like about this, this scene as well is that he doesn't know when to stop. Like he could, he could just do a couple of things. Oh, happy wedding anniversary, sir. And the writing in this for me, as we head into the next episode, with the fact that there's a couple of times we've talked about how good um, Captain Hollister is, that he clicks on, you know, and, and it's a cleverly written thing with the envelope that we get. But it's also the just the, the Rimmer being so confident, actually, that he's gone too far and it, it he becomes... A bit. Yeah. Hang on a second. There's, there's something's not right here, yeah. and I think that's really it, good writing. It's yeah. It's the overarching thing throughout the whole series of Rimmer's mind won't let him win. Mm. Like it's like you see, he could just handing over the safety document about drive plates that would have been fine. But then he has to go a bit. He has to go too far to hammer it home with the happy wedding anniversary and and then the the anisol soothing cream he just isn't capable even with all the information to give him a, an advantage that is beyond unfair he just isn't capable of being anything other than inept even mm. when he's got more than he'll ever need to not be inept he still somehow manages to be inept and it's really well done i think yeah i agree yeah he's he he's got he's like a kid in that he's got all this information and he could yeah. just stretch it out over years to make himself look fantastic, but he's got to do it now because you know it, it's like a bank robber who's got all the money at home and immediately goes and buys the most expensive car in cash and gets caught immediately. Mm. Yes, it, it's that he's like that, but with information. Also, I noticed as well when he gives him a muffin, it says Tesco on it. So Tesco has survived three million years into deep space. It didn't Every say, little helps. It didn't say Tesco on it. It does on the wrapper. It says Tesco. Fuck me. On the BBC. Fucking <laughs> hell. Tesco was posher then, wasn't it, as well? Wasn't direct. No. I want to talk about Hollister. Just how did he not corpse? How did Mac McDonald not corpse? Well, we will get to that in a certain episode. See you in 10 minutes. Yeah. True. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. You can see he's on the verge of corpse in that episode. See you in yeah. ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, it, it, I think that's this. And and again, I think we can maybe talk about this actually because this is the first scene that we get with Hollister actually where he is 
And there's a number of things right through series eight where they come to him. And mm. it's like, it, again, going back to that antagonistic thing of, oh, we've got to go back to the captain. And, you know, it, it, almost playing that, um, you know, Captain Picard's um, ready room, you know, mm. that kind of thing that you, you go to the office to, to get you to get to talk about the stuff or in this case get reprimanded because they're doing so many different things and just it and they, they feel, use this quite a lot it does feel very inspired by trek up to inc- and including the captain's log at the beginning yes. which is basically you know every captain's thing in in trek and uh. yeah it referenced trek before it became like a recap it was it was useful as a recap as well the log but it it really did feel quite trekky that from the very beginning with having captain hollister back even though he's not your classic trek captain and and it is, i suppose especially as the the episode goes on with the recaps it's quite a convoluted plot mm. when we get into the psychotropic stuff it is quite complicated that you kind of need that reset of like Little do they know that I've asked them for this, and I know we'll talk about that next week. But you know, it's that kind of thing where you need to keep that exposition on track because otherwise you're going to lose what what happened the week before. Yeah, and I think it is implied that at this very moment, Hollis was like, "Rimmer's got something." Immediately. Mm. Yeah, and and it happens a couple of times. In this one, it's like, um, "Rimmer, could you do something for me?" And gets the envelope, and mm, you know, that's yeah. the open opening for the psychotropic stuff. Matt McDonald's plays a, a very fun character. The The captain is hapless, but he's not stupid. Uh, he's incapable of being charming, but he's very, very intelligent. He's a fucking captain of a ship. And I think, like I gushed about Chloe Annette a lot, I, I think Mac McDonald is an absolutely superb addition to this cast. Much, much more important and much, much more of an enjoyable and genuinely funny character than he ever was in series one and two. And what I particularly like about this as well is um, there's a play on gazpacho soup. Like, how can we deal with the gazpacho soup differently? Because we are seeing Red Dwarf as Red Dwarf was, but in a different mm-hmm. rapper. It is the same gag. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And I didn't spot it, but it's the same gag. I do like the bit where where they said, oh, we're having a, a supper for people who are, I'm pegging for... Um, something big, and he says, "Oh, do you want me to be the wine waiter?" Which is such a sad line from Rimmer. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and he's so pandas as well, doesn't he? What it was like, sir? Yeah. I just thought you liked this, sir. Yeah. There you go, sir. He's totally like embellishing that. He's totally, you know, I'm, I'm going to do. I, I'll be your boy. I'll do anything you want. I'll do anything you want. You know, and uh, you know, incidentally, it's black tie, mm-hmm. Thai Chinese. <laughs> brilliant. Oh, it's brilliant. Moving on. Crichton needs to get undressed. Now, this has been something they've wanted to do for a long, long time. Mm. You know, there's been mention of this a few times. Well, there's a deleted scene of it that doesn't fucking work from Series 3. I think it was Camille. And it doesn't work here either. And it is, what, 14 years on? I just thought this scene was... Oh, it's... Body swap. I remember this. Oh, it body he's he's naked and the intrude the alert goes off. Yeah, so it's series three that they yeah. originally tried it. Um and it does look somewhat better here, definitely. Um until, I think it looks better than well, better than that one until he turns round. And then you can see the seam up the back of it. But it does lead to a very funny 
Crichton gag, which is fill this up out behind the screen. <laughs> yeah. And the hand gag does work as well. That's quite funny. I love the hand gag purely. It, again, it goes back to the action man figure where yeah. you see the action man figure Rimmer in that episode. And this one, you see the string and the rope that's moving that the hand around. And you can actually hear it going, like you can hear everything. It is so cheap, but so funny. You can see the outline of Robert Llewellyn's actual hand in yeah. the wrist. <laughs> yeah, but it still works better than the fucking naked Crichton thing. It wasn't funny. And having seen that that same gag wasn't funny in Series 3, they still wanted to do it. And it wasn't yeah. funny. The hand gag was. The hand, hand gag was funny. The head gag was when he when he uses the drill to uh, to do that. I thought that was that was interesting and funny. I did like that. I, I like the performance of the doctor in that he doesn't see who it is until he comes out with a urine bottle full of um, flowers. Mm. that he doesn't realise who he's actually talking to. I enjoyed that double take. The the removing the nuts and Crichton's head falling off, I really enjoyed, but purely because it reminded me of a Jasper Carrot joke that I loved when he was when I was growing up, because I watched a lot of Jasper Carrot growing up. Um, and it was he was talking about, you know, the the big questions in life. And one of them was if you unscrew your nipples, will your bum fall off? <laughs> oh, yeah. And this just reminded me of that for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we've got something that I would not have thought we would have been talking about six to eight weeks ago. Crichton's being classified as a woman. We're going to be going to a prison, and he's being classified as a woman. Now, bearing in mind what's ha recently happened in Scotland with the whole trans prison thing that's happened in Scotland what are you what do you make to that as a mm. current thing and this premise with Crichton? It's an interesting debate, isn't it? And it's a very strongly fought debate. And I'm sure it comes as no surprise to anyone that as a queer person, I stand completely in solidarity with my trans siblings. So I don't feel like I need to say any more than that on this thing. And um, the other thing I find tasteless in this is the, uh, the the joke about Italian people borders on the racist. Because my my argument would be, it's the abuse thing. It's it's not an easy answer that that's no. got a thing. It's the the abuse of the system that can be done, and that it wasn't well thought out. It shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have been agreed on without having proper discussion on it because there's so much thing that's open to abuse on it that I think it actually was wrong thing to do at that moment in time. I'm not saying it's the, I'm not saying it shouldn't happen. I'm saying it needs to be considered more than what it was. It needs to be monitored and everybody protected rather than picking which side gets protected. But yeah, okay. who's, who would have thought that um, Red Dwarf would have brought up the uh, debate about trans people and whether or not they get the same rights as people of the same gender as them in um, in Red Dwarf in 1999. And mm. I don't think they intended to. I think it was just lol women because a lot of Series 7 was actually lol, we've got a woman in the cast now. Let's What can we do with that? Being devil's advocate here, that we've said that Creighton on his sexuality is, you know, what it is and, 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 and that 
aspects of it. Do you, do you think that the intelligence wasn't there to actually to give this the the due that it's worth? Do you think that the intention is at least there? Or I mean, I think it's fascinating that obviously the because I'm just saying the because the comment says in a space car directive to prevent gender ambiguity in jail. I, I think it was nowhere near as much thought was put into this in 1999 as it is no. now, and I don't mm. think people were as passionate and as completely and utterly, um, essentially completely antithesis opinions to each other with nothing in between. It wasn't the case in 1999. Yeah, polarising. I think what's fascinating is that in a more modern take, despite the fact that he is presented as a male mechanoid and we, we you know we met camille who was presented as a female mechanoid essentially both of those characters are incapable of sex and don't have the functions that go on with whatever gender they may or may not have i, I think they're essentially agender and asexual but that wasn't really something that was looked at again in the 80s and 90s. So it's a difficult one to really look at fairly. But what a lot of people with very kind of marginalized um, elements of LGBTQ lifestyles, queer lifestyles, they tend to desperately look for anything that looks even remotely like what they are in popular culture because of the complete and utter lack of representation that's still bad now but it was essentially there were there were, there were no queer characters or next to no queer characters that were positive oh. in 1999 and I, I would argue quite strongly that Crichton is remarkably queer in not the stereotypical gay man lesbian bisexual person thing and was bizarrely probably accidentally Way ahead of his time. Mm. This is the thing with this. With this, I can see why they've written it, and there's something to mine in, in it in itself. It's a writing choice because you've got you've got Rimmer and you've got Lister together. How do you get the cat? Because the cat seems to have disappeared, and we've already seen a good conversation between Kachansky and Crichton. And if they are going to use this prison thing, how do you actually put those two together? And for me, it was a, a purely narrative choice, which accidentally, and especially, as I say, with the Scotland thing recently, it's accidentally mm. become a bit of a talking point because of that. And they all, I'm not saying that, I'm, obviously, it's 1999. We're not going to, you know, um, be around the bush here. It's not, obviously, we're reading way too much into it. But there is something to mine in that. And it's, it's you know, there is something that if this was written nowadays, it'd be interesting to see how how they actually would do it. But it, as, as you say, the, the polarization of it is is is, a, is a, un, a unique one, and they've written themselves a little bit in. Well, they have written themselves into a corner because how do you put Kachansky and Crichton together in, in in the rest of this series without doing what you've done here? It's very important mm. for a later episode in the series, isn't it, for Crichton TV that mm. he has access to that and very much manipulates it in a very unpleasant way again we'll talk about that when we look at that but this is what i was talking about an overarching plot they absolutely had to have them together so that that episode could happen there was a mention about uh writing his name in the snow 
You could go, go, go watch out where those huskies go and don't eat that yellow snow for any of you Frank Sapper fans out there. Also, there's the thing of him trying to say penis, um, which I think is adorable because <laughs> even though it's just him and Kachansky in the room, in a very nice room, it has to be said. I don't know if this is supposed to be Kachansky's quarters and she's under house arrest or That's if she's in. was what I felt, yeah. Yeah. Because there's soft toys and everything. If it isn't, she's done... I mean, that just shows the hierarchy of if you're an officer, you're not going to get... It's not going to be too rough for you in the brig. Um, but also he says the line, was it, if you can't swing, you can't Can't be with, with Bing. You can't if, be with Bing. Yeah. Which I get the feeling's probably got some historical truth in it somewhere. Is that it's a Bing Crosby thing, but it's... Uh, I love the fact that Chloe Annett's very innocent reaction to him not excuse me, her very innocent reaction to him not having a penis is, did you lose it? <laughs> Which is, is just quite funny. She was, why did you lose it? And he's like, no, I didn't have one. <laughs> and that's the thing, he's never had one. The, the only reason we almost think he does is because I think of the vacuum attachment in Series 3. Yeah. Yeah. The thing, I mean, as I say, I've been generally quite positive about the show so far, but... Hmm. I find it interesting that they would use Kachansky in the way that she says never had steak, pie, peas, and chips. I think that's that doesn't land for me. No. Because it's that's not some Kachansky's not stupid. You know no. what I mean? I don't I don't think that she would say that. Maybe mm. there's a whole subplot that we don't know of of Kachansky Kachansky's gone full end of Brazil into her own mind and is very happy there. And what we're seeing is just that tiny glimmer of what's left <laughs> communicating with everybody else because she just can't handle it anymore. But anyway, this ends up being that, they, uh, that they're going to restore his factory settings. The line, spin my nipple nuts and send me to Alaska, occurs. It, it's weird because him saying it, it's a double-edged thing for me because um, it feels slightly forced that it's dropped back in. But... If it's a phrase he says, he will say it. Yeah. So it's a catchphrase. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> you know if it's a phrase he actually uses in his own vernacular, then he's got to say it more than once in fifteen years. Yeah. So, uh, and this is a moment of extreme stress. So you know, rather than swearing, he's spinning his nipple nuts and sending them to Alaska. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> and it's also the the the, the op- opportunity for. The, the second time that we see the word ambivalence used and also the fact that we're going to see Kachansky recognise that later. Mm. So, you know, because he's got the case of like, I haven't got the hang of that emotion and Kachansky's going, what what was it? What's ambivalence? I look like Mr. Lister eating fruit, mm. you know, which is a classic kind of red dwarf line, isn't it? But it's also good to like, instill that into the into the into the right mr lister being forced to eat fruit (laughs) which i can imagine was kashansky (laughs) at some point during series seven (laughs) kachansky gives him an option uh on on what to do and to think of them on the loo and uh apparently it works for everyone now i've never heard of i've heard of picture everyone naked yeah it's totally that but in a pg format isn't it Basically, I thought it probably would have been easier to shoot of him looking and seeing everybody naked, but from like you know the shoulders up. Yeah, there's plenty I've... of nudity in this as well. There's the episode where the nanos eat everything on. Oh yeah, yeah. I and, <laughs> you know, we've already seen technically we've seen Crichton nude in this episode. Yeah. So 
I, I think it's a weird one, isn't it? I think it, I think it's because the scene involves women, like mm. you know, Chris Barry's little tush, and um, Craig Charles's little bum has. I don't know how this is going to sound. It comes out. Male buttocks have more comedy value, and it's slightly less icky than female buttocks. Is that because they make a giant juicy peach? They do. When you put them together, they make a giant juicy peach. I don't think I haven't forgotten, Mark. When we do see each other next in public, you can squeeze my buttocks together to make a giant juicy peach. I don't want to. Which, to be fair, the next time we see each other, we'll probably be at a wrestling show of some kind. So in front of all the other wrestlers, you can squeeze my buttocks together. I don't want to. Can we see that in 8K, please? What? Get it? Eight. You know, you've got two numbers that are like round, uh, that you can squish together like a giant juicy peach. Do you want to squeeze my buttocks together? <laughs> okay, so when the court case comes around after you've done that, right? I'm not squeezing anyone's buttocks together <laughs> to make a juicy giant peach. When the court case comes around after squeezing someone's buttocks together to make a giant juicy peach, right? Do you intend to defend yourself? Very good, nice reference. Very good. It's 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 a bit like justice, isn't it? And um, I think there's a lot of nods that that aren't very subtle. Like we found the luck virus when we went to see Professor Landstrom, but I think that defending themselves is probably a little nod, actually. Yeah, I think it probably is. I, I, mean, I just like the. I just says he gets them all around and goes, "I've seen them do this before." They yeah. just huddle together. Well, he's not got any better than when he was in Justice as he Crichton as, <laughs> as a lawyer. He's definitely not. I like the the ver the various different things that's going on with them here. In you know, Crichton's kind of you can get the like you could see that Crichton looks worried that he's about to get restored to his factory settings. Yeah. The cat is in full, I've seen this on TV mode. <laughs> uh, Lister just looks defeated. And Kachansky, again, Chloe Anna, looks fantastic in that outfit. She looks like a proper, like... Top gun see, kind of thing, yeah, isn't it? top gun sort yeah. of female officer sort of thing. But she looks terrified. And this is something we covered in the Crime Traveller episodes, is how good she is at... Expre- facially ex- facial expressions for her emotions and in this she she she's almost like, looks like she's going to turn on him yeah she she looks like she's going to like i'm just going to dob them all in and say they forced me to do it you know she's great she's she's a fantastic actor and she shouldn't have left no uh, no i think it's very sad it's very sad we didn't so, see more of her anywhere really I know it is is really disappointing not to be able to see her and anything else. So when they when they actually are in the in that courtroom and they say that they're gonna because of the how you know interesting this case is gonna be that they're gonna use psychotropic drugs so that they're told to consent if you accept say I, uh, they sign the consent forms and the sealing into the envelopes provided is what Hollister says. I absolutely think every time I see this, the look that Hollister gave, gives after he says that comment is brilliant because on rewatch you see him do the in in the in the envelopes provided and looks over as if to say yeah that's the psychotropic drugs you know and you can see it in his motion that that's what he's getting at and that's the thing you don't see it on the initial watch unless you like super observant and i'm not but on the rewatch i was like fucking hell 
Yeah, really yeah. good. Really, really good. Yeah, I I like as well in the in the build up to that when they're sort of chatting away, Lister starts mentioning how the ship's not the same. As they're talking about how it's not been. I can't remember if it's in this scene where they 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 think that the nanobots had a virus and it's not been built. It's not been like Lister says my my quarters aren't the same or the ship's not the same shape. Right. And okay. Basically, just like we've got a better set. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. How are we going to explain this? Yeah, you know, we got a better set. Yeah, which is that, which is how, which is how Hollister said, like, sort of, it's, um, you know, it's yeah. the original design plans. It's that thing, isn't it? Yeah. So I do think they missed a trick because in, it's in the previous episode they mentioned what's there now that wasn't there before, which was the karaoke bar on Sea Deck, and it would have been fun if if this was a show that had the credits going over something, just over the credits, just cut to like Hollister singing on his own in in the karaoke bar on sea deck <laughs> wasn't the karaoke in flamingos was it called flamingos parrots parrots we'll always have parrots yeah Maybe if, if they ever for whenever they do a new series if they want to do some marketing for like the next dave series they should have a pop-up parrots bar brilliant mm. okay. the day. yeah well, we return back to get off, get Rimmer Officer Hood power and eminence, or Grope for short, which again is going back to the the clitoris thing. Yeah. So mm. as as you say, we're just hitting those marks, just hitting those things that that's happened in the past. It's like it's going through a greatest hits effectively. It's it's weird because it's that thing of Rimmer can't come up with an acronym without it being weird, but he's still like very pleased that it's made a word almost, even if it's a bloody awful word. Yeah. Like clitoris in that one, he thought seemed a bit too far, but he was going with it anyway. In this one, Grope was like, "No, it's a it's a it's an action word. <laughs> it, it it fits what I'm doing. It's you know, it's uh, it's the one he seems so happy with himself because this is early Rimmer. Mm. Yeah, so it's not twigged. The later Rimmer, he'd have probably gone, "No, probably not." But this is early Rimmer with without any of the warmth to him well some warmth but not all the warmth i mean the um, other brilliant rimmer thing is how he's still obsessed with Yvonne Gruder because she's alive yeah. and I, I think that's a really nice reference as well and yeah. um uh, yeah Yvonne Magruder even the name Yvonne Magruder is just just satisfying isn't it <laughs> yeah. I, it would have been fun i think in a movie we probably would have met her again and it would have been interesting because she was the ship's female boxing champion hmm Yes, she was. It, it would have been fun to see her fight somebody, or you saw her in action. You I see, mean, also, yeah, oh, sorry. I mean, this this also leads to the start of the Hollister jokes in this series, where he said he, he couldn't have been happier if I gave him a vat of baked beans with two women wrestling in it. Which you immediately go, oh, it's a bit of a pervy joke. He goes, and then took the girls away and gave him a spoon. <laughs> it's like there we go clutch grab the joke back out of the realms of filth <laughs> 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 you know what they still run a gravy wrestling championship once a year where people wrestle in gravy yeah and, oh, and just yeah there's the lingerie pillow league as well a long lingerie football league See, I, I don't just... get. I don't get that. I don't actually get that at all. It doesn't make any yeah. sense to me whatsoever. I don't see the fun in it. But... There is a pillow fighting championship, but I have watched some of that, and I will tell you now that is fucking brutal. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's mostly women, but they go for it. <laughs> and yeah, I just, I, I, uh, 
I mean, you've got to remember, around this time, the topless darts was on live TV. So, you know. In Derby, um, before I moved here, so it would have been in the late 90s where I was just travelling here, our old bus station, there was a sign uh, that was there f- probably up until it got knocked down in the early 2000s, mid-2000s, advertising topless barmaids every Sunday um, at the Biker Pub, which is no longer there now. But as a kid, I used to giggle at that, like, you know, topless barmaid, not really knowing what it meant. Mm. But, yeah, every Sunday at the the Sitwell Tavern, they would have topless barmaids. I think it had a very specific time, like between the hours of 1 and 3. So, you know, 3.01, brass back on. <laughs> Do you want us back on? Okay, yeah. fair enough. Now, there is a comment, and Mark, what other father would claim to have an alibi for his sperm on the night of conception? That will come back in, <laughs> la- in a later episode that you haven't seen yet. Oh, right, okay. Okay, so, it's a good line. Um, it is a good line. It is a good mm. line. Um, but, yeah, it does come... Uh, there is a, a little bit of continuity happening in that, so that's something for the future. Um, and he says, um, up the ziggurat lickety split, like I mentioned yesterday, and I can't say it. Up the ziggurat lickety split. I still don't know what a ziggurat is after all these years later. I'd, I've said it out loud. I've said up the ziggurat lickety split. I don't know what one is. <laughs> I'm how guessing have, it's chain of command. <laughs> how have we never Googled this between us? Ziggurat. Ziggurat. Well, we know what a ziggurat is. Z- yeah, ziggurat. It's oh, like a, a stepped se- temple, isn't it? But I don't yeah. think that's what it is. He says ziggurat. Ziggurat. I think he's pronouncing it wrong then. A ziggurat is, is a type rubber. of massive structure built in ancient Mesopotamia. It has the form of a terraced compound of success- successively receding stories or levels. I knew it was some kind of like thing like that. So it's the it's the back of the titty twister in from Dust Till Dawn. Yes, that's exactly yeah. what it is, a ziggurat. The thing, the thing I like about the scene is, you know how they used to joke in Series 1 and Series 2 that it's no longer just a plain wood wall, it's now a wood wall with holes cut in it and a light shone through. Yeah. This scene with, with Rimmer and Lister talking is, you know, giant dairy milk bar stuck to the wall. Painted <laughs> <laughs> grey. And maybe they had a plumber do it. Maybe they had a plumber that's um, sorted it out. And then they pulled the CD out as well on that. Yeah. I remember I've got the confidential files all on CD. CD was the in thing in '99. Mate, mm. yeah. mine had a CD burner at university. When did what was your first C? What was the first CD you got? Oh, uh, I, I can tell you that very easily. It, the first CD I bought was the CD single of "On the Ropes" by the Wonder Stuff, and the first CD album I bought was "Construction for the Modern Idiot," which had the song "On the Ropes" by the Wonder Stuff on it. <laughs> And I'm actually going to be doing that for Pick a Disc very soon. All right, okay. I am pretty sure that my first CD, because I was I was part of, well, my dad was part of the Britannia Music Club. Nice. Yeah, where you got a free CD a month. And I'm pretty sure it was, I want to say, Garbage's second album. Version 2.0. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was that. Oh, no. No, it wasn't. No, that was 96 version 2.0. Did you not get it? Yeah. Anything earlier than that? No, I got that on tape. I think it might have been the soundtrack. It was the soundtrack to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Nice. Yeah. How about you, Kurt? Michael Jackson's Bad. On CD. On CD. Yeah, Yeah, because it had Leave Me Alone as the 
bonus track. It wasn't mm. on the original album. It was on the cassette. Mm. Um, it had up to Smooth Criminal, and the last song uh, on the CD was the the bonus track, Leave Me Alone, because it was a, a single after the album was released. Yeah, I, I held on to getting cassettes for a very long time, um, and it was quite late that I decided, oh, I'm going to have to start getting these, because I'd got that many cassettes, and I, me and my dad used to make a thing of going to find things on cassette, like the first uh, television album was really hard to find on cassette, but eventually we did. Uh, and we had all of the Now That's What I Call Musics, from one nice. all the way through till about 35 on cassette. Um, I don't know where they are now. And that was a big thing. And CDs didn't feel, for a long time, CDs didn't feel the same. And now I don't even have that many CDs and I kind of want to get that back again. <laughs> Interesting. That was a nice little side sidebar. Um, so we then talk in that, in that prison cell and um, Rimmer pulls out the lug virus and sexual magnetism virus, um, saying that Holly told him everything and that now, right now, Yvonne Magruder is sleeping off the first 23 pages of Kama Sutra. I like this, that that despite all of his neuroses, all of his idiosyncrasies, Rimmer's a good shag because the sexual magnetism virus doesn't make you good at sex. It just makes people more attracted to you. So Rimmer is actually a phenomenally good bang. That's established with Ivana Crane, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's the one bit of continuity he's really got going for him. And it's also really kind of sad that when he has the ability to find a way to get people into bed... Do the first 23 pages of the Kama Sutra. yes. When yeah. he gets the opportunity to be able to trick people into having mm-hmm. sex with him, and um, he uses it on his ex. Mm. That's actually very sad. This is the sad reality of this whole storyline, is that one of the characters we're supposed to like is a fucking rapist. Because Yvonne Magruder would not have slept with him, would not have done the 23 pages of that, if he hadn't taken the sexual magnetism virus, because she had dumped him and wasn't interested in him sexually anymore. So, so this is where I'm... The conversation I think that needs out. There's a couple of things that happens later in the episode that I do want to talk about. But taking on board, there's a couple of things I want to definitely say. Right, so taking on board the Kachansky and Lister thing. Right, that conversation with the sexual magnetism stuff. The way that like sort of Kachansky says stuff like you know um, before she before he realizes the you know that he could use sexual magnetism. There's a couple of phrases in that that's. You know, Kachansky is attracted to Lister in general, blah, 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 right? This is my first point in what should have happened rather than what did happen, is that you can use that sexual magnetism to great effect if things happened circumstantially, happenstancely, right? So if he accidentally touched that sexual magnetism thing and Kachansky is already attracted to him and there's that move and it happens, I think that would work a hell of a lot better than what this does. Yeah, and it's implied that obviously you don't know when you've got yeah. the look virus. You don't know when you've got the sexual magnetism virus. And if you have the sexual magnetism virus and you don't know about it, obviously that isn't rape. But he actively took the sexual magnetism virus to be able to get an advantage that caused him to be able to sleep with people that wouldn't have slept with him. He had had he not done that. Yeah, I know. But what I'm saying is, like, so, as I say, from, from the way that it should have been written, it's... There, there was a lot. There was a f- much, much mm. funnier episode in here if you had those sort of circumstances where, where no one's really 
understanding what's going on and that just happens but it that's that's the issue that comes across on this episode is that you know it's the mm-hmm. it's the thing of like the activeness yeah. of it like Yvonne Magruder will have had an attraction to Rimmer in the past if there was some way around that then fine that's the way it should have been written the problem is is like you say is the 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 engagement the agency of that person taking it if it had landed on him and he didn't know what it was yeah then that would have circumnavigated a lot of this yeah yes yes i'd agree with that because and even rimmer taking control in the next episode that would it's what is going on because he even says doesn't he which is i'm hornier than such and such or whatever he says then that is that mm. is the that is the way you can still use this drug this this virus in an effective way and that's why I've been holding back a little bit because I completely agree with you yeah. in everything you've been saying. But it's like it's an opportunity missed in my eyes because I think it could have been hilarious because because yeah. of the kind of not actually have things happen, have things where he's at, having to bat people off constantly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he's not doing it. He he actually remember all this to become the kind of the hero of the day as such because they're the ones going, what the hell is going on here? And all these mm. women are throwing me high and all that kind of thing could have all worked mm. if they just used that and redrafted it and did it this way. It's the, it's just disheartening that they did it the other way. That that's that's why I was getting what I was getting to. I think you've got a valid point. I think the metaphor I might use is it's like he's put rehypnol in everybody's drink. Yeah, you can't get away from that. I'm taking that aside. It's also, there's also there's an element for me that especially this Yvonne Magruder thing and. This is me reaching, so please don't take this as me trying to like argue against it because I'm not. Um, is that this at this moment in time, they're all under the influence and they're all thinking what they would do. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's not actually happening. So there's mm-hmm. an element of like, is it just an, an 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 inflated ego of within himself that you're looking internally within them? But it's not written like that. But that's that's a way that you could you could envision this because there is a lot of that going on. Before this, we've never used the sexual magnetism virus before, have we? He took it at the end of the first episode. No, I mean, prior to this series. Uh, no, it was just for a gag, for the yeah. cat gag of I'm a terminal case, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, because it could be, like Kurt said, it could because if he took it after he'd licked the envelope, this could all just be Rimmer's sick idea of what the magnetism virus actually does it might not be what it actually does at all but yeah no again i'm not arguing against it like that but that could be what what it is it's his interpretation of of what a sexual magnetism virus is yeah which still means that the character is capable of rape because that is what he would have done if it was the case if that makes sense it's nothing we've not seen before, though. No, so it's not. I'm, not. I'm not. I'm not saying. Yeah, I'm not saying that we're. It, it's. It's right or should have been written into the character, but it's nothing we haven't. We. He has been. We've accused him of this before. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it was unpleasant then. It's unpleasant now. I think we've said enough. Okay, no problem. Well, I'm going to go to Crichton now, because Crichton's doing something interesting in that he's um, trying to say no, which in itself is hilarious. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. No, and you know they, they they don't hold they don't use keep the weapons very secure, do they? No, no, no. It's it's <laughs> he just grabs it, doesn't he? He's yeah. It, it's it's very odd. It I, it does amuse me that they're all wearing like huge pants, mm. 
like proper granny pants. <laughs> Goes back to that slapstick thing again, doesn't it? It's it's almost like you'd see in like a in you know the Beano or something like that. It's like if 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 somebody if you see somebody's pants, they're always going to be ridiculously massive and wide fronting. Yeah, bloomers. It's like that you know the Skegness postcard sort of thing <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting as well because it's all the character nearly all of the characters we've met previously except hollister yeah, yeah. except hollister so it's it's the psychologist it's karen it's the woman who reset his programming and did the very evil like excellent when she realizes he's completely been reset it's mr shouty who frog marches uh lister back to uh his quarters and then one other person who I've not, who we've not met, which I'm guessing is because they had one too many cubicles. It's, it all goes back to the fact that they are being tested. It's Crichton's yeah. psyche. It's yeah. not. It, he hasn't met. Well, has he met Hollister at this point? No. So he hasn't met Hollister, so he wouldn't be in this reference, which I think is actually quite clever. That the fact that they yeah. you're just gone for Crichton's um, psyche rather than actually just throw in Hollister in there. Also, there's the thing of um, McLean is wearing suspenders, weirdly. It's it's odd because it doesn't seem particularly... There's no shame in it, which, you know, is a, he, he's perfectly happy. He's just fastening one when they when they see that he's doing it. He's just sat there because he's still smiling. He's like, oh, okay, no, I'm, I just happen to be wearing these. Yeah. And that's why I don't actually have a problem with the scene yeah. because he is comfortable with it. It isn't done in a way that humiliates the character. Yeah. I think people probably would laugh at it in the wrong way. Yeah. But in a weird way, it's strangely sensitively done and yeah. just acknowledges that sometimes people like to do that, regardless of their gender. And I was I was a bit confused about the whole thing, what they were trying to achieve, because he really did seem comfortable. Yeah. In who he is. Maybe it was in a, the actor's idea. It's like, let me wear suspenders for this. It, for for you know, it, it is a cheap gag. Mm. It, you know, you know, he's got suspenders on. Initially, when I first saw it, because of the pattern of it, because it's the sort of see-through white, the opaque white with with solid white bits in it. I just thought his legs were filthy. <laughs> That's it. They're yeah. a little bit more subtle yeah. than a crude mm. gag would have made it. So I don't really know. They should have been black lace if they were going to be yeah. unpleasant about it. So I don't, I didn't, I don't know. I don't think I dislike, I don't think I, I hate I it. I mean, I could be completely wrong because you can get shirt suspenders that look like stockings, but they're definitely stockings. Oh yeah, they definitely are. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Because he, he managed to say no, but he, but he actually gets, gets wiped and, uh, and ends up in the little suite where we visit the data doctor. Mm. I loved this. I loved Robert Llewellyn's, basically, he was gurning, wasn't he? And it was just delicious overacting, great fun. And whenever Robert Llewellyn gets a chance to be Robert Llewellyn very briefly in Red Dwarf, it's always really, really memorable. I like the bit where they're going through all the emotions as they're resetting him, and he shows yeah. Crichton, and then he just drops. Yeah. When it's deleted, his face just goes to complete nothing. The emotion faces that are, yeah, they're great. The, the cheeky one is just so funny. Yeah, I get the feeling it takes effort for him to move his eyebrows like that in that mask. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I, I might have thought that some of those might have actually been like slightly adapted masks because I don't know whether they would have had that level of movement. We've not really seen him do that before or after, I don't think. So no, I think this is the series where they got it down to an hour and he can like pull it over his head. 
I'm, I'm sure this is the series where he's like, I could just pull it over my head now. But he does turn into an Englishman. I can imagine this is one of his 8,000 voices he did when he was auditioning. Maybe it was the voice that never made it, like the, the, the second choice or third choice. I thought it was more of a reference to um, the original Crichton. Yeah, I thought that. I thought that was sort of playing out. David Ross. I thought it for a second, but I didn't think it was close enough, but maybe that was just me. Because after he was rebelling, <laughs> then he came back with Maybe the an new accent. Crichton accent. Yeah. yeah. He also got smashed to smithereens. <laughs> You've mastered the art there, Mark. Rebelling. Rebelling. That's what I think I'm doing, sir. Yes, I'm uh, rebelling. I'm programmed to serve. I, I, I don't know if it was a reference, but I think... Giving him essentially an RP accent did take away the personality. It did a really effective job of showing you that he has been robbed of something that was his, his sentience, his true nature, what he had become. And someone had, had stolen that from him. It was, it was actually quite sad and really well done. And yeah. yeah, the accent change, I think, was really, really effective. Mm. Yeah. Also, he does some great mime work on Can You Make Me a Coffee Cry? Rim is walking through, and again, just very quickly, if it had been accidentally poured on him and he was getting all his attention, it would have been funny. It isn't really that funny. It doesn't really land no. anyway, Doesn't it, irrespective of anything we think about it. It just doesn't. It's like, hi, okay, right, fine. But if it was on him and he was pulling faces going, what the hell was going on, that would have been funny. We yeah. see the woman from Pride and Prejudice land in the supper. I don't know if you noticed that. The one that doesn't, no, the one that sure doesn't one. get the sex, yeah, and gets really upset. Oh. Oh, it is, isn't it? Mm. Love it. I I I want to give this is going to probably sound bad, but I want to give credit to the casting director because I thought it then, and I thought it, and I think it now. These are some incredibly beautiful looking women. In fa facially, they have some just some beautiful faces on this, and yes, it is for a you know uh, not titillation, but they are there to be objects of desire in this scene but they are very beautiful <laughs> i think what's interesting is that yeah they're there for the gag of rumor having sex with lots of women but it also says a lot about captain hollister mm. the movers and the shakers that he wanted at the captain's mm. table are rimmer who essentially saved his butthole cream and um the very pretty women so it's interesting, isn't it? He then goes to supper, goes a couple of times, forgets the coffee, or drat, I forgot, comes back, you know, and, and that type of thing. And, you know, there's there's some interesting moments. What do you think to the guitar music, though, if we just completely take everything else out of the equation? It's a good little tune, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the first time it happens where it's Karen... And she does the, you're sexy, aren't you? You're so very, very sexy. I do laugh at Chris Barry's facial expression because he goes from utterly confused to the nostrils flaring probably harder than he's ever done it. And he's he's doing this proper like lip puckering like, oh, oh. it's Kenneth Williams. Now I think about it because he's like, oh yeah, so mm. sort of like the lips puckering, and then he gets he gets thrown through the door. It's it's a nice bit of physical comedy. Obviously, what's around it, we've we've spoken about that, isn't great. But Chris Barry smashes into a door like a pro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we we finish that scene. We end up with we've got Kachansky, Lister, and the cat. 
along the corridors trying to find Crichton. And uh, what is the use of a, <laughs> of a disguise if you wear it above your normal outfit? He's not even wearing the same jumpsuit really? as the other two. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god! So they find Crichton, and they obviously see that something's happened. They end up going into that cleaning closet, which I need to understand why there is some dentures in that cupboard. What t- sort of person it's is probably best not to ask that? <laughs> Were they in the medical bay? It's like the janitor's closet. Mm-hmm. Is it? Uh... Well, it could. Be. I thought it was a medical bay, but then why are there mops in that cupboard? Also, why is nobody noticing there's? metal poles coming out of everyone's heads the whole point is that it's too easy for them to escape yeah. isn't it yeah you could argue that away with there just happened to be some dentures and some mops in a room because that's where the cat's head went to and they're in well it's essentially um back to reality yeah. in a lot of ways you know how like you think you're out you come out and you're not you think you're out you think you come out and you're not which when i thought about it my notes i actually wrote this is like inception wait inception stole that idea from back to reality mm. oh paprika if you've seen that movie i like paprika what's paprika i like paprika the spice what's this paprika film that's what it's called it but um it's, a, um, it's an anime oh i know what you mean yeah was that before or after back no, to it's, reality it's after it's 2006 yeah but, but if you watch, if you watch that uh, paprika you're watching inception if you just, yeah, I would, I guarantee. If you have, have, a, have a watch of it, it's a, it's a great movie. Um, but yeah, it's basically Inception. There's, there's so many shots that are identical that it's like there's no way it's not they've not pulled it from that. With the the Dibleys as well, um, Chloe Annette is probably the only person who can make the teeth work and still look somewhat adorable. Yeah, she, she sort of stands. At, I think it's the cheekbones. She just gets like the little cherubic <laughs> cheekbones, but with the teeth coming out, it's like you actually still look quite good with those teeth. <laughs> now, there is something I wanted to raise. Uh, obviously, we've gone over the scene where Rim is going back and forth with the coffee and and having the all of the sex. Yeah, there's one bit where it's the second woman. Where firstly he says "drat," which I'm a big fan of using the word "drat." I do say it in my daily life, but he goes back to get the coffee and the little short woman that looks a bit like Miriam Margulies goes with him and then it cuts to the bang and a bang and a bang 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 that again but he's yeah. pressed against the door facing the door and she pushes his head down mm. and then sort of makes a orgasmic sex face kind of thing and I wondered this then and I still wonder this now what's happening there because he's facing the wrong way. This bit won't go in, I can tell. But he's facing the, the wrong way. And in front of her, I still can't work out what that would be. Mark? I hadn't thought about it, unless she was using a strap-on. Yeah, that, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. I, I, again, I don't particularly want to talk about it. I think the character was implied to be a lesbian, but the sexual magnetism virus was so potent was she? that it converted oh, her. Okay. And that's why she pegged him. I didn't think that at I all, but pay, okay. I didn't pick that up. Again, like I said earlier, I think maybe I'm deliberately painting it even blacker than it is because it really angered me. So maybe I saw something that wasn't there. It is dark, Mark. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the computer programmers, apparently, because uh, they don't see those guys. And uh, 
it's the, the probably the best scene in this episode is this bit with Crichton. Yeah. I, I'm feeling two separate emotions, ambivalence. Oh yes, that's good. That's great. I remember that was in a trailer for this series with not any context behind it, and that probably got me wondering what was happening in this episode. Just hearing Craig go, "Oh yes, that's good." Yeah. It was like, "What's going on? What's happened there?" It's like when, when something. It's when Wibbly. Yeah, I like the fact that, that Lister and Kachansky are trying to get him to remember, and the cats are like, "Shut up, we're nearly out of here." <laughs> uh, and, and the line again, again, this is quotable for me. I'm back, and I'm bad, obviously within certain sensible parameters. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's only so far. I like it. I like it, and I think I could use that in future. But I just didn't watch this series enough to ever get any quotable dwarf. You'll. You won't hear me do Quotable Dwarf anymore, I'm afraid. Sorry. No, you'll definitely get Quotable Dwarf in later seasons for me. Yeah, so then Holly gets them out of the the hole. Lister is, we get the, the the exposition about the fact that Lister's case was so unusual, that it was a use of psychotropic evidence. Right now they believe they're escaping. This is when Rimmer kind of realises what is happening. And then he's got to then try and tame himself. And Rimmer goes and does something quite extraordinary. Yes. How did they do it? Was it just like a cricket cup? It definitely looks like there's a plate in there. I personally think it's shot at an angle where he can swing it and it actually completely misses him, but it looks like he hits himself in the dick. I think everybody in the audience seems to take it remarkably well that he's just stuck a two-foot syringe in his balls. You know what I mean? It's yeah. There's definitely something in there, unless there's something about Chris Barry we don't know about. <laughs> I thought this was quite funny, to be fair. It's the fact that it leads to the legs going. <laughs> yeah. Just just the, the sight of somebody hitting themselves in the bollocks with a hammer is is amusing to me. <laughs> and then walking away, yeah. going hmm, <laughs> like satisfied, like no, no, I can hit myself in the balls with a hammer. Yeah. And it's great physical comedy. Yeah. Really good physical comedy. Yeah. The the fact he does a kind of hip grind as well to to make make the anesthetic take effect. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously we see Hollister as well as um, as he comes down the corridor and he's kind of like alluding to the fact that I've never you know how are you doing kind of Rimmer and that kind of bring, brings us to the end of the episode. I don't think it, mm. oh yes um, finally which I needed to mention. That we see the um, little green bag, uh, little section. Yeah, that can't have been cheap sourcing that mm. music. I think they invested there, and I think it was a good investment. I really do. Don't the BBC have a deal with with the music rights people that they can pretty much use anything? I remember watching it once on I think it was Charlie Brooker's Newswipe, where he was he was talking about like what they can use and what they can't use and what they get charged for and what they don't. Cause I think he just randomly, cause he said like, Oh, if I wanted to play Sergeant Pepper, I could do. And then he just randomly starts playing Sergeant Pepper over. I think it was over a Tory politician's face or something like that. Yeah. It, it was interesting, but yeah, it does definitely work. Something that I think is quite interesting is again, I did watch the extended cut where it's all in one episode. True to form, Carl, true to form. True to form. Yeah. <laughs> 
I've set a precedent and I'm going <laughs> with it. Just um, watch the thing we don't watch. You go do you just you do you. It's fine. Me do me. Yeah, it makes sense. But there's actually an extra scene in there at the very beginning, and some of the scenes are in different orders. Right. Yeah, so at the very beginning, there's another scene with them in the bunks in the prison. Really? Yeah. Where they talk about um, Lis- uh, Rimmer and Lister have only been in there for a couple of days, and Rimmer's had the crap kicked out of him twice, once by the chaplain, and once that's by... A, no, that that's the next, that's in next week's episode. Ah, in the extended one, it's it's much earlier in it. So it's quite interesting how they swapped it around for timing purposes. I mean, it's all there, but yeah, it looks like they have moved it all all around a bit for the the feature length one. Huh. We'll talk about that scene. Yeah, next week, I suppose then. it's because it's the episodic nature of this one that you you want to refer back to it before you get to the end of the episode, don't you? Mm. Whereas, like in in the longer cut, you can take it out because you it's in a TV film format. You want to put that earlier. Mm. Yeah, it's like it keeps coming back to them and then reveal because it does a, a another two days earlier right thing so they'll show this scene of them in the prison because the way this one's structured is first episode is them in the prison three days earlier second chunk or where i believed it to be them in the prison two days earlier and i'm kind of expecting this next one to have something very similar um because of mine after they do the little green black the little green bag uh we see bob and marge the scutters for the first time and uh, they wave them off that gag's great. Yeah. That gag's great where they dress up as... <laughs> Shoot, go, 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 go. <laughs> so was that, that's the end of the episode for the general one, isn't it? That they come back yeah. out as well yeah, as yeah. the Dibbleys. So um, this end of this episode with Little Green Bag then entered into my set list because I wanted to play it with the band. Brilliant. That is my claim to fame on this one. It was like, oh, I don't know this song. I like this song. I like the line. Ding, 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 ding. I'm going to learn that on bass. Learned it. I went, why don't we do a little green bag? Ended up being in the yeah. set. As somebody who went to college at this time to do film, so I did film over the course of 1998, 1999, with a bunch of the guys who were the year above me were all Tarantino-obsessed. Yeah. I heard Little Green Bag in more student films than I care to <laughs> recollect. Brilliant. To the point where I didn't see Pulp Fiction for years because I didn't want to (laughs) after people talking to me about it. I didn't see The Matrix until like the mid-2000s because I'd heard enough about it that I didn't want to watch it. Yeah, I saw saw the reference much later than than this episode. This is the first time I saw that. So I didn't get the reference until much later. Right. I I think for a good three years I didn't see a walking scene that didn't have little green black. Never another scene, never another type of scene. Always a walking scene that had little green bag on it. I think there's only really one song that's kind of could be argued superseded little green bag, and that's from another Tarantino film. That's um, March Against. Was it called March Against Humanity by a Japanese artist, someone Hotai? Oh, from Kill Bill. Yeah. And so goes the birth of the new Tarantino movie in which we give Carl loads of homework to watch all the extended versions. <laughs> wow, that's a podcast. Oh, dear. It's, Kill Bill uh, Part yeah. 3. 
I do I do remember for me though it was Little Green Bag was one and uh Red Right Hand, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, because that's all over the Scream films. Ah, you see, that's that's X Files when Scully gets abducted. Yeah. Sorry if any spoilers. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah, there's yeah. um Scully gets abducted and that's what Dwayne Barry's playing in the in the mm. um in the car when she's in the trunk. People more would probably refer to it as Peaky Blinders these days. Okay. Ding 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 ding. Maybe I should do some specials on where Red Right Hand appears in different things. You should could do that for the X Cast, maybe. Not that I mention other people's podcasts while I'm on here. You know, never would never dream of doing that. No. Right. Any thoughts? I know, Mark, you don't want to. We'll continue on, but Carl, have you got anything you want to say before we finish? I'm enjoying the structure of how they are mixing old with new how they are tying up quite a lot of loose ends on these things and there's a lot of callbacks because there was a good few years between seven and eight if i remember correctly or a couple of years at least yeah less so than between six and seven but there was still a bit of time i think it was two years yeah so it it's it's i like how they're, they're like there's a new dynamic now. We've got more people. We can use this. We've got all of the ships back. We can use more sets. We've got the the thing. And yet, and still, we're probably not going to use a lot of the ship because we are, by episode three, um, going to be in the brig or the tank. I think I think it changes to the tank by the end of the next episode, I think, um, because we're going to be in there from, from there on out. But... It's sort of what what is old is new, is old again is new again, and I'm enjoying that that part of it. You know, and and you just saying that, and just what we've talked about. This is something I've not really thought about with series eight that it does do new and old because they end mm. up in the tank. Then we have our Starbug moment of like, well, we need to have things off the ship, so Wisp put the canaries in. Yeah. So it's it's almost identical, like things that happen. You know, you start off stuck on that ship, and then you go and do adventures. That's really interesting. Never thought of it that way. Mark, any any final thoughts before we move on to part three of this three parter? Yeah, uh, watch the commentary again, and um, Craig Charles joins them in a very similar thing. That's almost a callback to the gag with um, Selby and Peterson. He arrived late because he was hung over and drunk. <laughs> okay. And, uh, fair which I thought was funny. See, I thought I thought this was prime Takeshi time, so maybe it clashed with the Takeshi's uh, castle voiceover session. No, he just turned up late, and now there's about, what eight people commentating on it. Norman confirms that he had ideas on set that were ignored. We speculated about that when we looked at series one and two, and um, they said that they should expect the next series in 2006 after some films, um, and the final one was very, very juicy. Norman Lovett really doesn't like David Ross and isn't particularly professional about it, but he doesn't go as far as telling you why. Okay. Mm. So there's a feud between David Ross and Norman Lovett, and he airs it on a BBC DVD commentary. Is it during the, the Crichton scene where he's doing the English voice? Yeah. Okay. And they haven't, you know, 
He hasn't changed that much, Norman Lovett, has he? He's still a bit of a douche. Yeah. <laughs> Let's call it a day and um, come back next week. So before we do that, we need to find out where people are online and what they're up to. So, Carl, shoot away. Uh, you can find me at allmylinks.com forward slash Mr. Carl. I haven't got much going on at the moment, but what I thought I might do is I'd go through uh, a couple of the ideas I've written down that I'm probably not going to get around to doing. Uh, the first one is called Glance Macabre, a Jonathan Creek podcast Brilliant. where I sit, Matt, lay them down, and we watch that together because he kept mentioning during the crime travel episodes he'd never seen it, much to mine and Mark's moderate shock. <laughs> I just think you'll like it. Praro. You know, Praro. I do as well. You know, Praro. 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 Sorry, Matt. We love you. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to listen to this and just be like, bastards. Bastards. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anything else you want to say, Carl, or should we pass over to Mr. Mark Adams? No, no. Pass on over to Mr. Magic. Mr. Magic. Don't call me Mr. Magic. Fuck's sake. Well, the other the thing I was going to call you the other day, I think I ended up calling you Big Magic, but I was going to call you Big Wand. That would be a lie, unfortunately. Perfectly acceptable wand would be more accurate, unfortunately. Um, Paw. What? Paw. P A W. Perfectly acceptable. <laughs> uh, Sorry, uh, it's getting late. It is. So, yeah, if you want. <laughs> If you want to find me, it's at MarkAdamsHC on Twitter and Instagram. I'm really trying with Instagram, but I do struggle with it. And if you're interested in horror films, I've got a podcast about Chucky and Child's Play at Chucky Vision on Twitter. Excellent. And if you want to find me, you want to go to Linktree. You just type in Linktree in Google and type in R. Muldrake and you'll find me. It's the best way to do it. Good times. <laughs> so until next time, where we are looking at the third part of this three-part part of the season, Series 8, um, it's time for us to depart. So until next time, remember, as always, <laughs> right, Mark, I'm going to stand here. You hit me in the bollocks with a hammer. Let's see how hard this actually is. Welcome to the third age of podcasting. The year is 2023. The name of the podcast is a dream given form. Join us for the 30th anniversary of Babylon 5 as we move to fortnightly episodes looking back at The Gathering, the pilot episode of Babylon 5, season 1 and beyond with a plethora of guests to join us too. The Gathering is just one week where we critique. There's some good stuff in there but we can absolutely critique too, I think. I completely agree, definitely. I liken The Gathering and the first episode and kind of compare them to the X-Files pilot and Deep Throat. I wouldn't say hate, but it's a very, very strong yeah. dislike of the cycle. Yeah, well, I feel like the cycle ruins uh, one of us childhood. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, essentially. I mean, and also, enough, as well, there were levels. There's Talia representing the cycle that, that destroyed her mother, and then there's Besta and... Kelsey. Besta, there's Besta and Kelsey, you know, who are just psychopaths. And, you know, they are the personification of everything that she hates. And be sure to check out all our content from the last year of A Dream Given Form including thematic lookbacks at the show. And today we're going to be discussing the three prominent leaders of Babylon 5, Sinclair, Sheridan and Delenn. We thought we would combine our two greatest loves, because it's not just Babylon 5, it's Lord of the Rings 2, because there's a lot of Lord of the Rings influences that JMS drew upon developing Babylon 5, and even interviews with some of the stars of Babylon 5 itself. He said, I'll tell you what, 
He said, what would you like to do if you had a character? I said, first of all, I don't want to carry a ray gun. I don't want to carry a blaster or a transporter thing. Beam me up, Scotty. I want to be different than everybody you have on here. And I want to carry a sword because that is what he lives by. That's part of his thing, his warrior mentality. I love hearing that people are still interested in, in Babylon 5 and, uh, you know, it's really an honor to to continue the conversation around a show that meant so much to us. And, you know, it's the little show that could. So check out a Dream Game Form, a Babylon 5 podcast on the We Made This Network. The last best hope for peace. Shipwrecked and Comatose, a Red Dwarf podcast, was created and produced by Mark Adams and Kurt North. You can find us on Twitter at Red Dwarf Pod, and we are part of the We Made This Podcast Network. <laughs>